Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Welcome to 3CR Spoken Word. I am Brendan Bonsack and this week I'm delighted to have on the show Sharifa Tartusi, Victorian finals winner of the Australian Poetry Slam 2017, convener of Griffin Speak, which is a regular poetry gig in the northwest of Melbourne, and she's also just completed a book, Colourblind, which was launched in February this year. Welcome, Sharifa. Thank you for having me, Brendan. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. And uh, the launch, which was such a vibrant event. Thank you. Um, congratulations. It's such a, an amazing array of people. I would, I would call it joyous. Was yeah. that a deliberate thing? Yes, we, we wanted it to feel like people were just um, rallied around us and everyone else and giving them love and joy. Is that something you found in poetry that feels like a kind of family? I think, I think it's a community that's very close-knit. Everyone knows everyone and everyone's business. But um, the good side of that is that people will always have your back and will always prop you up and will support you. So, yeah, I definitely think it's like a second family to have all these people around us. Do you want to read a piece from that book as a way of introduction? Yes. Um, so today I'll be reading Eastern Lights, which is actually the second poem in the book. Um, I used this poem to basically win the um, APS Victorian final, um, and I hope everybody enjoys it. I come from astronomers, from stargazers and moon chasers, hips that move to the beats of their own celestial symphonies and voices that boom constellations. Like our history is the blanket of night, and our story is rhythm to the tide. I come from the tide, from the rises and falls of fishermen who navigated oceans before the ocean had a name in English, from the buttons of my grandfather's captain's uniform, from his footsteps on the deck of the ship, beneath the light of the comet, home. There is nothing more natural than returning to where you began, so when society asks me to return to Hollywood harem girl white man fantasy hip swing formation, is it not a betrayal to stay silent, to let them weave themselves into my identity until I'm reduced to the click-clack of coins on dancing belts built by men, because if these bodies are to be enslaved, let it taste like white freedom, like the kind of fetish that dresses like being appreciated, like almost fitting. So welcome to the generation of Arab women who've grown up foreign, who know that headscarf means stay silent, History, a metaphor for written in English. Your voice only an opinion if it sits within the confines of their echo chamber and white multiculturalism. White multiculturalism is being different enough to feel interesting on their tongues without burning their palates. It is sharing in my mother's cooking without bothering to acknowledge that these recipes are entrenched in a time of stolen wealth and provisioned rations enforced by their boats on our shores. It is appreciating the resistance poetry of Mahmoud Darwish without acknowledging the events that inspired it. It is always remembering to emit lies from bloodlines because all blood is the same color when they use theirs to erase yours, isn't it? The exploitation of Arab women on stage and screen and in late night entertainment complexes is accurate representation, isn't it? That's why you destroyed our countries and granted us asylum here, wasn't it? To watch us rewrite narratives onto our bodies in a language you can sexualize, can lodge under our fingernails and in the backs of our throats like ownership like this is yours. Don't be so complacent. For we have not forgotten that we come from astronomers, from stargazers and moon chasers, and these hips will learn to dance to the beat of their own celestial symphonies. So put your cameras down, turn off the microphones, stand up straight and still, watch as the constellations lead these bodies home. 
bathed in starlight. How did you find the experience of the slam in general? So the APS is in three um, parts, for those who don't know. Um, there's the heats that are like in libraries around the country. Um, and that was interesting because there was a very community vibe about that. Like everybody knew everybody and it was all the same people at all the Melbourne heats really. And then there was the Victorian final and that was booked out before I even became runner up. So I was like, oh my God, there's already people who are coming to see us without even knowing that we're going to be there. And that was really supportive and the vibe was really great. And I felt like like a coming together of, of, of poets and sharing. Um, and then we went to the Opera House for the final and that was quite different because the stage was a lot larger. The audience um, was paying something like $65 a head. So you got a lot less artistic types and more people who wanted a show. A little bit more like being a spectacle as opposed to having a conversation. Is that something you prefer, having the, the eye contact? Oh, definitely. I love to just see people's faces, whether I'm like trying to make them uncomfortable or trying to make them laugh. And sometimes you get like really unexpected person in the back who's like obviously new to a spoken word and looks so confused. And you're like, mm, just give it like maybe two weeks and you'll get it. <laughs> you're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. Among her many talents, Sharifa is also co-founder and convener of a regular poetry event, Griffin Speak, which is held at Anthropology Cafe in Pasco Vale. Can you tell us a bit about how it came about? Um, when we started Griffin Speak, there were a few dry spaces on the scene, but not many. You mean dry as in no alcohol? Yes, yeah. that's what I mean by dry. More religious Muslims will want to keep away from alcohol at all costs. And I mean, the Melbourne spoken word scene was all like, we're really inclusive, but also we don't want to get rid of the alcohol. And that's understandable for a lot of the spaces. But at that point, it was like there was really nowhere to go as a Muslim woman unless you wanted to go to Mother Tongue, which also is a great gig. But I mean, that was like once a month, that's all you had. And it didn't particularly champion women of colour, it championed all women. But as women of colour, we felt like we weren't being championed in a space that was almost built for us. And um, I just said to my friend Jomana, who is my co-founder, well, maybe we have to stop asking people to create space for us. Maybe we have to start creating our own space. And um, within the space of 10 minutes, we had booked three features, a venue, and set a date sorted everything out and, and that's how Griffin Speak was born. Is it nerve-wracking being a convener? Yes, <laughs> especially when you're like on a shoestring budget and um, and literally you're sitting there thinking, okay, so I've got to pay my features, I've got to pay venue, uh, this is how much it costs, so this is how many people have to come through the door. You have a little like happy dance when, when person like 30 comes through the door and you, you've made your $300 for the night and you're like, okay, we're in surplus now, everything else can go towards the next event. But yeah, yeah, we've we've had a good run, so thankfully that's been good. They say that tenderness does not live in the crevices of eastern tongue and this Arabic lights the way between my mind and my throat, claws its way at my mouth and onto the dusty keys of my ancestral memory. My mothers and fathers give me nine words and nine different tendernesses. Hub is direct translation for love is the closest thing to western ink spill on stage, shallow sentiment in English tongue and furthest thing from home. My mothers and fathers have given me eight other words and eight other tendernesses, one. Hiam is a love that wanders the earth. 
or the names of first-born daughters, or the continental drift through the dial tone, I ask, is Hiam a love that wanders the earth, or did the earth force Hiam to wander it? Do they name their first daughters after the only kind of love that is free in irony or hope? Do they tell them to marry boys they only ever know through the dial tone out of love or fear? Is Hiam the roar of the engine in economy or the flooded deck in the Pacific? Is it my mother's tears when we fly low enough to see the coastline over Beirut or the sigh of relief when we leave the airport going the other way unscathed? Did our grandparents tuck it into their pockets over their hearts as they set foot on the tarmac or the dock, the dock that they called home and then goodbye, called falling comets and reverse fireworks, called farewell, called I will send you a part of me soon? Is Hiam a travelling spirit? Is it a nomad in search of freedom? Does it seep through the ink in our letters and the fabric in our pockets? Does it find its way into the melodies of beating, into the lapped up of longing in the chambers of our ancestors' hearts too? Shagaf is a love that rests in the chambers of the heart. They tell me I have my mother's heart and my father's temper. Does my great-grandfather give his daughter a man's name in irony or hope? Is Shagaf what keeps her from remarrying 40 years after the accident? Is it what keeps my father going back home 28 years after the citizenship ceremony? They tell me I have my mother's heart and my father's temper. The Shagaf passed down through generations. Did it plant itself when my mother became pregnant the first time? Or did it slip from my father's tongue piece by piece on summer nights? On red earth that calls itself desert but does not feel anything like Sahra. Sahra is the Arabic word for desert. The English maps say the word twice in two different languages side by side and my grandparents' ghosts laugh. As my father calls on me to remind him of the geography of our people, does he give me his mother's name out of love or fear? Fear is the geography of our people when they are far from home. Home is the memories we lay out in winter. Barefoot 60s childhood on the Latakian shoreline. My parents come from sand that is white and tastes like salt. Bubble to tell all the same stories enough times that we know them all better than our own. We do not keep count. Every time is another first time. If only for the glimmer in eye, the nostalgic glint, the insistence on stale climax, some days out of love and others out of fear. They tell me I have my mother's heart and my father's temper. Mama does not remember the names of all the streets and laneways since they changed them. Her memories are still ten-year-old ringlet curls bouncing to the dock of ships that belonged to my paternal grandfather before the Dead Sea stole them goodbye, stole them drowning toddlers in wooden rafts, stole them farewell and I will send you a part of me soon. They tell me I have my mother's heart and the sorrow in my father's temper three. Wala is the kind of love that carries sorrow within it. My maternal grandfather names his firstborn daughter Muna. Muna is the Arabic word for wishing out of irony or hope. Wishes are the prayers we most want answered. We have ceased whispering them to fallen comets and reverse fireworks, since my mother's homeland destroyed herself in search of the gap between cross and crescent, and a story that ends in light filtering through bullet holes in both wala and fear. Wala is the geography of our people when they are far from home. When my mother is pregnant, it is the letters she sends to my father. When I am born, it is green masks soaked in tears and the faded glue on photo-stained envelopes. When I am three, 
It is the knitted shoes my grandmother entrusts to a titanium tube in the sky. When I am five, it is the way my name curves around her lips and through the speakers on the VCR player. When I am seven, it is her howl through the static on the long-distance phone call that moves the ocean in my father's eyes, so that it is now more coastline than dock, white and salty like fresh stone on my grandfather's grave. Maybe wella is when your burial no longer matches your birthplace. After we die, do our hearts answer to our places of rest or our places of birth? Do we lose ourselves trying to decide which one we choose for? Dame is a love in which you lose yourself. Dame is the name Sham gives to the lost boys, the underside of falling comets and reverse fireworks frozen in the lap of her memory. Sham is the name we give to Damascus when she is still growing jasmine and rose in history, blossom and vine and lost boys tasting adulthood through glasses adrift. In time, does he name his son Tame out of irony or fear? Fear is the geography of my people when they leave parts of themselves back home. Leaving is the promise they plant in our hearts, the echo of hollow wall, encasements of empty chamber we do not recognize somewhere between farewell and I will send you a part of me soon. Soon is measured in generations, crooked mother tongues in which we fumble, in which we are memories superimposed on place, sixties childhood on Nordi's visit, in the Shami Arabic of Mama and Baba and Teta and Jiddo and Mina and Arwad and Taim in exhaust pipe journeys to the hearts of cities we have only known in hope and fear and irony and love. Love is standing on the edge of Qasyun or in the grain against toe of Latakian sand or the morning horn of ship on dock in Mina. Taim is finding our missing pieces standing in the shadows of our forefathers as we call them home and then salam, call them vicarious nostalgia and alien belonging, call them it's been too long, call them keep these parts of me until the next soon. Do we bury parts of ourselves in our own shadow out of love of place or fear of falling out from it? 5. Hawa is the kind of love that shares its name with the wind or falling. Teta sits at the counter and listens to old Fedor's songs, and some days she still cries when the 1950s transistor radio plays the early morning songs and sends her into mourning for the sort of love we have never known. They tell me I have my great-grandmother's eyes and her son's sense of humour. I was seven when Jiddo died, when Baba cried the first time, when the red earth swallowed him and did not spit him back out, although a part of us wanted it to, out of love for something old and tarnished, out of fear of losing the kinks in our roots. Teta's countersong is Tiri Yatiyara Tiri. Loosely translated in a tongue that turns me into too many meanings lost, it means fly, aeroplane, fly. In Arabic, aeroplane can also mean kite. Kite means childhood. Childhood means flat roofs means running after the wind, means falling, means associating the wind with leaving, means falling where the fireworks explode the right way up, and the realization that you may never go back. They tell me I have my great-grandmother's eyes and her son's sense of humor. Our countersong is Nassam alayna al-hawa, like the wind breezed upon us, like love breezed upon us, like falling breezed upon us, 
like we wish we could fall upwards, fall into shiny white buses in the sky, fall into the wind, let the wind be love, let love be home, let home be the breeze from between the mountains and the wind atop the waves. I learn all the words to both songs and my grandmother tears up when I sing the first one, but Rai smiles when I speak the second, runs her fingers through my hair like wind, like in this moment she is the wind, she is love, she is falling, she is hawa, she is sails atop wooden ships sweeping us in the melodies of Fairuz and Abdul Halim Hafiz, and in this moment, together, they are the closest thing I have to roots or sprouts. An intertwining of my soul with the souls of homes past, I only wish I knew. Six. Aishq is the kind of love that intertwines two souls together. They tell me I have my great-grandmother's eyes and her son's sense of humour and I become an intertwinement of their parts. They tell me I have my grandmother's fight and her husband's snark, and I become an intertwinement of their parts. They tell me I have my maternal grandmother's fire and my paternal grandmother's flea in my calves, and I become an intertwinement of their parts. They tell me I have my maternal grandfather's infatuation with drowning, and my paternal grandfather's ocean in my lungs, and I become an intertwinement of their parts. They tell me I have my mother's heart and my father's temper and I become an intertwinement of their parts. They tell me I speak mama's English and baba's Arabic and I become an intertwinement of their parts. They tell me I have Mina's sea song in my voice and Latakia's sand dusted over my nose and I become an intertwinement of their parts. They tell me I carry Melbourne's poetry with a shammy nuance and I become an intertwinement of their parts. I become intertwinings until they are amalgamations, until the flavour is new, until all my grandmothers and grandfathers hold the same tongues, until borders melt, until white men's hands tremble, until agreements break, until the West finds itself in the West and not with its hands in my history or the sequence of my intertwinings, until my mother and father are not separated by checkpoints or the time of flea or the origin of war or the date of ceremony, until we are so much ourselves that our Arabic does not feel laboured, until our English does not matter, until they tell me I have an Arab gaze and a European complexion, and I take the gaze and discard the complexion, spend time in the sun, hold my body dark like it is sacred, like it is the sun, it is nightfall and the moon is irrelevant, until light is irrelevant, until white is irrelevant, until all this me, this heritage and history and longing, becomes a love that exudes from my pores. Seven. Sababa is a love that exudes from the pores. My people are a story written in the ink of running stream, in the hollow of sweat and tear, and some place to belong that isn't here, that isn't blood and oil, reverse firework and fallen comets, that isn't farewell and I will send you a part of me soon. What do you call nostalgia for alternate reality? Baba stands on the shoreline in Williamstown and tells us that the ships at home are bigger than these ones, tells us stories of adventure and father and son and generation. What do you call nostalgia for another's memory? My people are volatile memory evaporating under white love of narrative, Hollywood movie and harem girl depiction. 
erasure of my mother's mother in the kitchen with my grandfather cooking dinner for their immigrant family, of my father's father wrestling the sea to feed the ocean in his lungs. What do you call nostalgia for alternate reality? Mama stands with her feet in the water and lets her ten-year-old self exude into the foreign undulations of moisture and salt. The sand is different here, rocks sharp, shoreline unforgiving, but the sababa remains the same. What do you call nostalgia for another's memory? Memories are snapshots in time we colour with our stories. And ours is riddled with irony and hope and love and fear of paying the price of leaving, of paying the price to stay eight. Gharam is a love that is willing to pay the price. The story goes that when the white men drew their trembling lines through our countries, through our tongues and our hearts and the colours on our passports, my great-grandfather refused to change, still brewed his Syrian coffee on the babur even when all the houses had stoves, never picked up an identity card, out of love for identity, out of fear of losing it, out of gharam for all we are, for all we were. The story goes that when my mother was pregnant the second time, the fetus kicked its way north until her feet dug into the sand of the motherland. The story goes, my paternal grandmother has made two long trips in her lifetime. The first, to identify her dead husband's body, and the second, to deny her Australian visa, out of love for identity, out of fear of losing it, out of gharam for all we are, for all she wants us to be. The story goes, Mama's family moved here when the fireworks started falling too close to home. They did not look back, and now we cannot move forward in the irony of fearing hope. The story goes that the immigrant children found love in the old lullabies Mama smuggled under the deck, and the stale tales Baba does not have enough time left in him to replace. In the Arabic lessons I hated as a child, and the songs I wish I knew the meanings of as an adult, in the regret I did not learn gharam early enough, Blocked my paws using the light foundation and gave away my sababa. In the ishq we are fed through our umbilical cords. and the hawa in Teta's countertop transistor radio. In the wallah of a father's temper and the shagaf of a mother's heart. And in the hiyam that someday I may know if only a part of it. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio. The program is Spoken Word, and our guest today, and the reader of that wonderful poem, is Sharifa Tartusi. Thank you for sharing this unique and epic piece with us, Sharifa. What sparked you to write this one? Um, I'd gone around to a lot of gigs, and there was the theme of love kept coming up. Everybody kept talking about exploring love in its many forms, and all the forms always were romantic. And I thought about how Arabic had nine words for love and how I never associated those with romantic love once and then this poem was born. I wrote it in like bits and pieces across the time of like two months. So um, the first few stanzas were done in my mother's living room with my mother um, eagerly looking over my shoulder and me not being able to say certain things. But yeah, the rest of it was just written. It kind of just came out like, and I think it's wanted to come out for like three years or something. But like it just found that now was the right time to be written. I find it very emotional to listen to. Did you find it very emotional writing? Yeah, so it kind of took me like back through my family history and got me pondering how sad it is that 
people leave home and don't know when they're going to go back. My father, he really knows that we won't go back, but, but he still has the hope. And I think that's a really sad kind of hope. And also you have that beautiful line in there, what do you call nostalgia for someone else's memory? We grew up with dad telling us stories about old Lebanon and old Syria um, and then going over there and it being totally different to all the stories and like falling in love with it again through fresh eyes. And now going, like I went to Syria last time in 2009, this was before the war. And after the war, like I, I've seen images on like just scrolling through, you know, your newsfeed and you get um, like a news thing and there's an image and um, it kind of hurts a little bit to see those partly because it's really hard to hang on to the memories when you have something to replace them like that and um, it got me thinking about like my children for example or, or anyone younger than me will never know exactly what it was like so they'll have that nostalgia for my reality at some point as well it's it's really sad that there's a pre pre-civil war Lebanon out there and like I've seen pictures of it and everything it's like I know I could have been there like it's so real and, and dad talks about it because he grew up there and mum was about 10 when the war started and they they talk about Lebanon like it was so beautiful and peaceful and like until now you go to Lebanon and you find that like um, things like electricity and water are still rationed. Um, there's still like very much political unrest and that's the kind of Middle East that people are exposed to. But my parents grew up in a very different Middle East. So yeah, the colonizer definitely did, did their job. I, I grew up in a very Arab nationalistic household. So it's, it's really funny trying to navigate like I'm not completely Western, like I have that Arab pride in who I am and where I come from but um also like living in a western world going back to visit you realize that you're so different to people who actually grew up there did you learn Arabic yeah so um up until I was five I didn't speak a word of English even though I lived in Australia um and yeah throughout my childhood even till now like dad bans us from speaking English at home we have to we can speak as much English as we want outside the house um, but inside the house, it's very much Arabic because um, he doesn't want us to lose our roots and our um, access to the language. I bet you're glad now. Yeah, I'm definitely glad because I have access to some pretty cool literature because of what he's done. Poetry is a big part of Arab culture and a lot of people don't know that. They, they imagine the Middle East is just like this war-torn place. But yeah, there's a lot of culture and history there as well. Um, but a lot of the Arab poetry that is classical poetry is written by men. And I do respect a lot of their work, but a lot of them were like, you know, hardcore womanizers who like just wrote about the women that they were with. And I struggled heaps with that growing up. So, um, yeah, so like currently I think my favorite poets are like Arab woman poets because they're getting their work out there. In particular, um, Refif Siada, you know, she's on YouTube and she was the reason that I started like properly writing poetry. What was it about her that inspired you? Just the emotion on stage, the, like the way that she was delivering. It was like, I don't care that your narrative is different to mine. I don't care that you think that I should be erased. I don't care that, you know, you're going to call me an angry woman of colour. Um, the actual poem is called Shades of Anger and she keeps saying, I am an Arab woman of colour and we come in all shades of anger. And she was so unapologetic about her message and she was so true and so inspiring. Have you ever tried writing in Arabic yourself? Yeah, it's pretty horrible. <laughs> I have. Um, I wish I had the skill set to be able to write properly in Arabic. I do like weave some Arabic into my um, poems sometimes. 
Um, but like, I think it's just offensive for me to try and write Arabic poetry because it's the amount of skill that is displayed by Arab poets is so high and beautiful and I don't want to mess with that. Do you think poetry has changed you as a person? Yes, <laughs> I've become a lot more ready for challenges. Um, I believe in the power of community a lot more than I did before. It's really the biggest thing that I've gotten from poetry. I feel like my voice is heard now and there's a whole artist side of me I didn't know existed. And yeah, I'm just definitely a totally different person now than I was like two years ago when I started this. Thank you so much for coming in today, Sharifa. Thank you. Sharifa will be performing in Northcote at Girls on Key on April 4th and the next Griffin Speak is on 21st of April. For more details on these and everything spoken word in Melbourne, check out www.melbournespokenword.com. Lovers of this program, Spoken Word on 3CR Community Radio, should save this date, Tuesday 15th of May from 7pm, because we are excited to be presenting a special live show at Grub Street Food Van in Fitzroy, featuring the amazing talents of Jennifer Compton, Andy Jackson, Tariro Mavondo and Kylie Supsky. There's an open mic, food and drink, and all proceeds go to benefit the station and keep independent radio on air. So keep an ear out for that in the coming weeks. And that's the show for this week. Tune in every week on Thursday at 9am or grab the podcast from 3cr.org.au. I am Brendan Ponsack. Thank you for listening. 